I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It's Tommy Moe! Roby Roby's weekly. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, joined as always by my colleague with the 42, Murray Kinsler. Murray, how are you? I'm good, Gav. It's good to see you and hear your voice again. Highlight of my week always. How are you? Oh, it's mutual and I'm fantastic. Thanks very much. The real highlight, of course, is chatting to the big man, Birch, Bernard Jackman. How are things there? Good, thanks. Yeah, looking forward to a bit of a change-up Champions Cup rugby, so... Uh... Yeah, always some nice clashes to, to chat about and obviously the Munster Leinster game to, to look back at. Yeah, I've been rumorating over that one. Looking forward to digging into it. Uh, it is a nice change of pace, all right, to be chatting about the provinces and some massive games coming up this weekend. Uh, some comings and goings from within those uh, setups as well, respective setups. Uh, we'll chat about the Women's Six Nations, which kicks off this weekend uh, towards the end of the show as well. Plus, we'll field your questions from the members WhatsApp group, members.the42.ie. Uh, if you want to join up there, get all of the extra podcasts, get access to the group and all of the uh, added content provided by the 42 for its members. Leinster Munster, let's go. Uh, I feel as though this will be a podcast filled with wild, sweeping statements by myself. Uh, but I want to actually focus on Leinster to begin with, Murray, because <laughs> it feels like anytime Leinster and Munster play, massive talking points after the games tend to be in relation to Munster. Because we were saying just before we came on air, there's always so much more to say about a team that isn't winning or doesn't win a particular game. We all have sort of perspective solutions and from my point of view from the point of view of monster fans you want to air your grievances as well it's cathartic to do so and sometimes there's a little bit of a danger of nearly overlooking the team that actually just won Leicester just won their fourth pro 14 in a row it's an unbelievable achievement by them Uh, and I actually wanted to just focus on Leicester's performance to begin with before we get into monster because watching the game back uh, and and it did take a second watch for me to be able to remove the emotion from it and my own personal disappointment. I, I objectively loved watching Leinster play in that game. I thought it was the best performance I've seen them put together in quite a while, even though there were missed opportunities that will um, probably fester a little bit in them and, and will have disappointed Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster. Those are things that can be put right. We can chat about whether they're a, a, a kind of an ongoing concern in a while, but just as an overall package, I thought it was a dominant Leinster performance, but even kind of aesthetically stylistically just enjoyable to watch and for them to be able to just produce that in a final where bear in mind the likes of ourselves or at least a couple of us and plenty of other people were saying this is monster's chance this might be a a kind of a a narrowing of the gap to use that phrase that we've been using over the last few weeks Leicester just took that notion and threw it in the bin uh, and produced a a really accomplished display yeah it was a very complete performance and it was probably telling of what Leinster have become that Stuart Lancaster informed us that if you'd been in their review you would have thought they lost the game because he's focusing on a couple of those missed chances that you mentioned and I think Leinster will probably feel if they put away two or three of those missed chances particularly in the first half that the score margin would have been obviously much bigger there certainly were really strong chances they got held up a couple of times and despite whatever Stephen Larkham insists I don't think the match was really evenly matched in the end I do think the the gap has closed in the previous three meetings and they were much closer battles but this wasn't it was a really complete Leinster performance they struck brilliantly off set piece attack really incisive really clever really skillful everyone running beautiful lines timing their runs well looking like a threat if even if they're not getting the ball 
the handling from the likes of Henshaw and Byrne and Keenan was excellent. And even the forwards brought that bit of skill level as well. Andrew Porter and Tyke Furlong, when he came on as well, in particular, were, were prominent in that regard. But everyone's comfortable handling the ball and running convincing lines and, and being a threat. So it is very complete style of attack when they play like that. And they opened up a little bit more in that first half than they have probably in the previous ties between the teams. And it was really exciting. They didn't take those chances. And in the second half, it needed a slightly different approach, albeit still with some lovely attacking thrusts. You think of the build-up before Jack Conan's score, and it's a really clever play where they carry a midfield and bounce back to, to Conan himself to, to make the line break and lead to all that pressure that allows them to go into their five-metre game, which is just so effective, as we've seen and talked about countless times. From, from there, it's that kind of squeezing, boa constrictor style of play that just piles pressure on you Luke McGrath kicking in behind Keith Earls was kind of the symbol of that Ryan Baird making strip tackle and choke tackling guys um Robbie Henshaw absolutely obliterating Chris Farrell in a, in a brilliant bit of defensive work where he gets around the corner really hard working and, and makes a massive tackle on the end of it uh, so yeah it was very complete and, and 10 points probably didn't do it justice it showed that there is that variety to Leinster that they can do it in a few different ways and on top of that, you have virtually every single player delivering a, a really strong performance in, in their own right, as well as the guys who came off the bench. And that competition we've spoken about before continues to drive that side of it. So, yeah, it was a really impressive, really joyous performance, I agree with you, to, to watch and to enjoy. And it's exciting to think that they can maybe even improve on that this weekend. That's certainly their sense that they left a lot behind them in that game. As Lancaster said, it looked like they'd lost in their own review. So I'm really intrigued to see what they can do this weekend against a Toulon team that has an absolutely gigantic pack. I'm sure we'll come back and talk about that. And they'll feel they can be a little bit more aggressive against Leinster in that regard. But certainly this Leinster team can can cut you apart. They can outmuscle you. They can pressure you. They can frustrate you. Um, and it's really enjoyable to watch. Certainly is. I got a, a little bit of flack on Twitter afterwards, Birch, because in my emotional state I was saying that Leinster as they were kind of awaiting the trophy presentation and stuff the way they were just sort of standing around chatting it was like you know a few young lads meeting up outside of a funeral or something where you're kind of like good to see you patting each other on the back and I I understand obviously how that would have uh, <laughs> uh, pissed off a few Leinster fans Rory O'Connor pulled me up in it not, not that he's a Leinster fan but he was kind of like rejecting the notion that I, that I suggested which was that it means it seems to mean very little to them. And all I meant by that really was comparable to Munster, it means very little to them. You could imagine if Munster had won the game, they would have been bouncing around the place, <clears throat> excuse me, because it would have been a, a real landmark for them. Whereas for Leinster, not only winning the Pro 14, but actually beating their closest rivals to do so on the way, you know, they were semi-final or final, has become so routine now that it it, it kind of... It feels like job done, a case of job done for them afterwards. And I don't know, did they even get a sense that they'd won a trophy, if you know what I mean? It was just a case of winning the game and doing it well. Um, and you can imagine it would have been different, say, if Leinster win the Champions Cup, they will be bouncing around the place, even if there are no fans there. Uh, but that's kind of what makes this impressive as well, Bernard, is that, as Murray said, every single one of their players to a man put in a brilliant individual performance. This was a final, but it was almost as though they didn't treat it like one. They treated it like another game in which everybody came to the fore, everybody performed out of their skins, and collectively there was a sense of 
inevitability about it from the opening minutes, really. Yeah, I think um, I think they probably expect to win it, and it's probably more relief and kind of satisfaction that the job is done rather than elation, you know. And also the way the game went, even though it was six all at half time, I think Leinster probably felt in control, and you know, so you're not getting that. Um, sudden outburst of emotion there's no fans to to feed off um you know when you know probably with, with 20 minutes to go you've won the game and, and that's certainly how it felt and even at half time i think they probably felt look at it just tighten up a little bit the game is there for the taking and um they have reached an unbelievable level of consistency and, and it's ironic actually because i suppose my criticism or question around munster is is not bringing that emotional um aspect to their performances uh Whereas Leinster seem to be able to get a level of consistency, no matter who plays, um, you know, regardless of getting too over the top about it, they just seem to have, um, I suppose, perfected that art of, you know, understanding how important it is to perform, respect for the squad, you know, do your job, do it well, and and win the game. And I think from a Leinster point of view. And, uh, you know, similar to what you said beforehand, we got caught in Premier Sport post-game. We had an half an hour, and at the end, I had to say, listen, stop talking about Munster, because we had just talked about Munster for 20 minutes, and we hadn't actually credited the team. And that's that's probably a testament to Leinster's consistency and the fact they've won four in a row. But we still should, as Murray just did eloquently there, you know, highlight how good they were and how they are the champions in this competition, and deservedly so. Um yeah, I think I think just something to say there as well is 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 how interesting coaches' framing can be. I mean, you know, isn't it amazing that Stuart Lancaster, the takings Murray got from Stuart Lancaster's press conference was it felt like a defeat to Leinster, and what we hear out of the Munster press conference was it felt like a win. You know, and to a certain extent, I'm obviously exaggerating there, but they they saw huge positives and they saw a closing of the gap, very little between the two teams and. I suppose what's really important is it's not how they frame it publicly; it's how they deal with it internally. Uh, and I and I do think Leinster will will definitely look at the areas where they they didn't you know execute and and, and let let Munster off the hook. But they will see, you know, the fundamentals of a very strong performance, and I'm sure they they acknowledge that and um and recognised it was a it was a good performance. And I would hope Munster didn't. That I like realistically inside those four walls, you know, analyze it properly and and realize that there's a gap there now. There's a gap that they have to catch, uh, and if they don't change how they go about these semi these knockout games, it's going to be the same thing over and over again. And and um, that's the you know only only the squad will will know that, and that's fine. That's absolutely fine because I can you know even though you're setting yourself up for a bit of question and abuse by coming out and being ultra positive in the press that's part of the job but what happened inside the the monster review on monday morning would be fascinating for me because i think if they de- genuinely think that that was close and they defended really well um and if the weather was better they would have been able to attack better then i don't think they're on the right track to be honest i, I think if the weather was better leinster win by 30 i, I think Munster's defense was all over the place and you know a team like monster shouldn't be delighted because they scrambled well and they held Leinster up over the line. First, you know, it, it depends how you frame it. You could say that that, that the pass from Royal Lachlan, you know, to to Larmer, that's great defence by Earls. But I would say, you know, how did end us channels so so easily? You know what I mean? So it, it 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 all it's all relevant. But I I just wonder 
where the belief is in Munster. Did they come to Dublin really believing they could win? Because that was a week I think they should have believed they could win because they have won some tight games. They have had time, more time with Graham Rountree, more time with Larkham. Um, Leinster obviously loaded their bench, which means you know we have a chance to get a fast start here and get ahead of them. Um, it was a week after the Six Nations, so Leinster had less time to get cohesion. But yet they didn't perform. So, I, I, yeah, it's it's fascinating where Munster go from here. Can they... Traditionally, they were always a team that could bounce back quickly. Uh, we'll, we'll know a lot the more contrast, about this again. It's a great point, Birch, because the contrasts here are so riveting and enthralling. And, and they should be because they're such long, bitter rivals, I suppose. And even the belief one is massive. Larkham spoke about that. He said, this is basically what we've been talking about in our team meeting, that the players got to believe in themselves. And I thought it was quite striking watching it. Like, Munster were 6-6 at halftime and Leinster had missed a load of opportunities. In any other contest or tie that is a massive fillip for the the underdogs i suppose you go hang on they actually haven't scored with all this pressure but leinster came out and looked like they still expected to win they still believed they were going to win this match and that's based on having done it so many times against munster over the last while whereas i felt watching it that munster's body language wasn't that positive way it looked like they kind of had almost that inevitable feeling in, inside themselves another contrast is the players we've just mentioned leinster's players basically to to 23 obviously Johnny Sexton didn't last long out there but everyone played well I don't think Munster's players can say that about themselves on a massive occasion that their best players had some of their best games that just didn't happen Gavin Coombs was the best player on the pitch for Munster he's a 23 year old guy he actually probably looked like the one who really believed I'm going to go and win this match and maybe there's a I don't know, there's a hangover there for the guys who've been through it too often with Leinster and there's probably a contrast even in, in how well coached the teams looked. Leinster at all times looked like they'd nailed their detail around their set piece. Obviously, some of the fluency in their phase play attack, their defence was really effective. Whereas Munster had some really basic slips in defence that they, they therefore required the scramble. Like I know Larkin was painting that as a positive, but some of the, the opportunities they gave up are way too poor for a team of, of their ambition. Um, and then in, in attack, obviously, again, we didn't see anything convincing to suggest that they've they've made up that gap and, and made those improvements that they've needed to make against Leinster. So there is just such a contrast between the whole setups and the organisations, even behind the scenes. You look at how well, obviously, Leinster's conveyor belt is, is is flowing. And for me, Munster's doesn't have to be exactly the same, but there is young talent coming through. But that side of things can be so much better as well and, and create even more depth in their squad. So it is really interesting to compare the two and I know Munster probably shouldn't be doing that and they should be going about it their own way but it's hard for us not to do it yeah and I think the the question mark about the defence I think how Leinster approached the game in that first half tells its own story because they actually played with way more ambition than they do against a lot of teams who who kind of have their defence in, in order so as we know Murray we've spoken before Leinster like to kick a lot, get A zone entries, um, through through kick pressure, uh, and they grind teams down early, and then they only really released the handbrake when they got a score and they got scoreboard control. Whereas it was the exact opposite in a final against their biggest rivals. Theoretically, they went after them and and played with a lot more, played with a lot more uh, wit than they normally do. So that didn't just happen. That's obviously what they saw that week in Munster's defence and they went after and, and, and look at they didn't get the scoreboard pressure or the scoreboard return that they would have wanted at halftime it seemed to be a you know a tactical change plan B let's beat them up 
and you know that worked as well. But uh, and I agree with you at six all. So I, we said last week, and the reason I tipped Munster was I said, look, they only need to be better for the Leinster for eighty minutes in the last four years, once for eighty minutes at half time. They'd actually done it. They'd managed to go in the halftime level. And it was only 40 minutes then they needed to get. And, you know, for 20 of those minutes, Leinster weren't going to launch the bench. So you had 20 minutes where, theoretically, it was your best players against, you know, a, a week in selection, even though it's not weak. And they didn't manage to to come out. And and I, I yeah, I wonder where the Munster players' heads are at. Like, because this is a really experienced team. I mean, Barry Gavin Coombs, who's 23, agree was their best player. The rest of them are all seasoned campaigners. Most of them are internationals. But yes, in a final, they couldn't really find that extra 5 or 6% you need in a final. Let me bring you back to Leinster momentarily. We have a couple of questions from members and then we can discuss Munster in greater detail. Uh, there's one from Barry Lampkin here who actually has a question about Leinster's defence. And kind of in keeping with the theme of the start of the show or what we were saying at the start, Barry was wondering if Leinster's defence are getting enough credit for last Saturday um because or sorry he adds then that uh, maybe there's cause for optimism this weekend for Munster uh, that their own defense was excellent in the final and apart from the Christmas game against Exeter Toulouse have been far from solid in defense we, we can chat about Munster in a while on that Toulouse game but what about Leinster's defense are we guilty of pinning all of Munster's bluntness on their own incapability and maybe turning a blind eye to what Leinster did well in defence Murray well there's always two sides to the coin and absolutely that's a really impressive part of of Munster or Leinster rather's armoury um, they work exceptionally hard off the ball in defence and it's something that again you probably only appreciate when you're watching it back and you're noticing how someone like Robbie Henshaw pops up in the position he does or how Andrew Porter absolutely works his whole off to get back when Gavin Coombs makes that break and even gets back up off the ground and jackals over the ball to get, uh, you know, add another little split second and then you see how well the defensive line is set um, and that's down to how they train. Like so much of what you see on match day is a reflection of how a team trains. That's positive and negative um, and Leinster clearly put a, a massive amount of onus on that. Again, Stuart Lancaster's influence is often flagged around the attack, but he's put as much of his time and effort into improving their defence. He often speaks about how you know defence wins championships. I've seen him kind of really underline that point in a number of different presentations, and you can see absolutely that he's he's done that with Leinster. There's a real pride and real intent in their defence as well as their attack. Um, so yeah, absolutely is a big part of it. Even set piece wise, they'll be pleased with how they repelled the Munster Mall at times. That would have been an area Munster had ho- would have hoped to get a, a, a kind of bit of momentum from. Even the scrum, I think Munster had been looking at that as a potential chance for them to get into the game. But absolutely, Leinster dominated that area, really, didn't they? And, and got on top and got some key moments from that as well. So, yeah, the defence is a massive part of it and they do deserve credit. But you've, you've kind of got to look at both sides of that coin and, and Munster should be disappointed with their inability to to really stretch and break, apart from that Gavin Coombs example, break down the Leinster defence. One for you here, Bert, from Kieran Pearson. Uh, he says, Owen and Murray had a really interesting conversation on Monday's pod about game managers, uh, and Owen went into great detail about they, how they factor them into the game plan in Japan. This is on the members' pod on Monday. And Kieran says, It's a consistent talking point that Leinster's, and by extension, Ireland's game management is fronted by Sexton, and when he's not there, the difference is evident. Should we be looking at some kind of 
uh, game manager's system like Owen described? Or what do Leinster need to do to help with the over-reliance on Sexton as their sole playmaker? Uh, he, he just adds that he'd be really interested to get Birch's view on this system as a coach. And he says that he's just using Sexton as the example with this. Yeah, look at that. Munster would have a game manager's group um, and that would change weekly depending on selection. So, for example, if um, if Joey doesn't play, you know, and Ben Healy played, you know, he'd be part of that in the week. And, and normally what they do is they, you know, they're involved in looking at the opposition um, and designing the strategy and talking to the coaches around the what ifs. Um, so I think, you know, it's not it's not something that's unique to Japan. Like Cheka was doing this with us back in, in 05. So normally be the hooker, line-out caller, number eight, nine, ten, and maybe uh, Otriska used to be in it, obviously. Um, uh, Easton Sea was regularly in it. So there was a group of seven or eight players, um, mainly around position, really. Um, as in, the, the line-out caller would always be in it, no matter who, so depending on selection. Um, but yeah, I think, I think obviously someone like Johnny, because of his personality, um, and it's probably his super strength, you know, he, he, he's probably not a Bowden Barrett in terms of speed, etc. But he's very, he's brilliant at game management. So he, that's why I think it's more obvious when he plays or that he's bringing it. Um, but no, I'm sure Larkham, Rantry, Van, Van de Graan would, would, would be working on that. Every coach is, at a pressure level, it's not, it's not rocket. It's obvious. Um, but we often, when we see a team win, we, we think they've managed the game brilliantly. Um, and they're, and they're, you know, and obviously the example of Luke McGrath with that kick, etc., and they have. But there's probably more to it than that. It was, it was, it was probably I think every area of the game Leinster were were completely dominant in. But yeah, it's a it's a good question, and, and but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame it on that. I, I would be I'd be more critical of Munster or, or ask the question around, you know, where their heads are at in terms of uh, what they want to achieve. Um, in their careers for Munster, you know, and um, I think that the, uh, this generation, since obviously 2009, 2010, there's a strong chance now they're going to finish their careers with no trophy. And I don't accept it's just Leinster, that Leinster have too much power and too much money and too much international, the private schools, all that stuff. Because, I, you know, I said it this week somewhere else, but like Glasgow, Connacht and Scarlet's players have a Pro 14 title. You know, so Leinster had a dip, and Munster didn't take advantage of that. Paul O'Connor's last game, from what I believe, for Munster was in in Ravenhill against against Glasgow, and in a final didn't get it done. And there's been lots of criticism. Rob Penny, Axel, whereas he wasn't criticised, but he didn't. You know, he was there. Johan, and they haven't been able to to win a trophy no matter what coaching group they've had. So at some stage it goes back onto the players. Uh, I think, you know, and I think the board and the RFU have given them an unbelievable amount of support between coaching facilities. I mean, their facilities, the best facility in Ireland, it's better than Leinster's, you know, they're both very good, but it's better. Um, they obviously have two brilliant stadium, um, you know, uh, and they've been supported in terms of, okay, but they lost Sebo and Dunica Ryan, but in general, they've always been able to keep their best players and they've been able to recruit some high profile, non, non Irish. So, yeah, I just think I wonder where, like, how desperate are they to change the, um, the pecking order, you know, and how desperate are they for silverware? How desperate are they, to, to, to do something special? I don't know. And when you're talking about honest in-house review, like you have to hope that that is part of it, that the coaches are putting that pressure onto the players and not just going, I don't want to make enemies here. I don't want to upset 
Peter Manny, Conor Murray by saying, why aren't you playing as well in a big monster match as you have shown you're capable of for Ireland? Even someone like Dialende, who's obviously come on massive money, and I know he put in massive work rate the last day, but he made errors that contributed towards towards some of the, the monster deficiencies. You'd hope that those players are being put under pressure internally because they'll be the first ones to, to question, as Bernard says, to question the things around them and to put pressure on. Um, and you'd hope the players have that honesty amongst themselves as well because like one thing Munster did have at that time when they were successful was like absolutely zero tolerant, tolerance for someone who wasn't there to be a winner. They just cut that person straight out of the group as, as soon as possible. It was just unacceptable to them. Um, and that has to be part of it. It, it is in Leinster. They, they're all there to win all the time in relentlessly. Like the first thing they're thinking about after that Pro 14 final is Toulon. Let's go and win it. A European Cup, um, and again, yeah, I'm contrasting again, but it's, it's just it's such an, uh, a close to home example, I suppose, for Munster. Yeah, just on that, I was reading a book last night around high performance, and just something that came out to me and I highlighted here: conflict isn't always a bad thing. Healthy and constructive conflict is a critical component of high functioning teams. This is where great emotional intelligence comes in. Understanding and appreciating various viewpoints involved in conflict are the key factors in its resolution. Right, so uh, it's just this idea of you know, being really hurt, being really frustrated, being really annoyed with where you are in the status quo, um, and having those like honest conver- having honest conversations, sometimes, you know, causing conflict or having conflict to get better, that's a that's common in 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 winning teams as well. You know, and how they can continue to win is they have those conversations while they're winning, um, and, and like we, I would have to hope that Munster, Ulster, and I'm sure they are, but you know. Well, if there's something wrong in the system and the program or the the relationship or the game plan, you know, then you just need to fix it. And you need to because your career is so short. I mean, to spend ten years at a club like Munster and not have a, a silverware, I mean, who? It's very hard to believe it could happen. You know what I mean? Realistically, given what happened in the before, and it's so hard to get that legacy in history. So, like, you know, I want the, all the provinces to be able to to beat each other. And 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 at the moment, and like, look at. It could change. It could change this week, but um, unfortunately, in semi-finals and finals, there hasn't been that ability to step up and and, and win knockout rugby that obviously they were built upon. Well, just to continue to focus on the players, and we'll get to the coaches in a moment because similar with Munster's blunt attack versus Leinster's impressive defence, there are sort of two sides of the coin here as well. I Gavin Coombs is symbolic, maybe of what's going wrong with Munster but not him personally more so actually the senior players with whom he now plays in that he was the only one who seemed to meet his own standards at the weekend he didn't seem to be inhibited by the weight of history that people keep going on about um, particularly uh, attributing that or, or projecting it onto say the likes of Conor Murray Peter Romani who came immediately after a squad that won uh, trophies Coombs has come through a Munster setup that hasn't won anything in 10 years he's 23 and maybe you can make the argument it's like the fearlessness of youth and you don't have those hang-ups at that age generally speaking anyway but to me it seemed as though if you contrast his performance with all of the big players to whom we were alluding and even the like look at Conor Murray's performance in that game versus what he did for Ireland literally a week beforehand it's chalk and cheese you know and maybe you can make the argument okay well he put a lot into the Six Nations he was tired but so did a lot of Leinster's players who showed up on the day um I think, like, when you look at Coombs versus some of those senior guys, 
there has to be some kind of a psychological element to this where it, maybe it is just as simple as belief, but they're going into a Leinster game. Maybe they can sort of externally convince each other that they're going to win or whatever, but internally they don't have that genuine belief that they can do it. Because even Van Gran, when he came out afterwards saying, oh, you know, once Leinster build up a lead, like it's it's kind of game over. Like that's ostensibly what he said. I, I am paraphrasing, but it was kind of like, they got a score ahead, we just couldn't catch them. That's an unbelievable thing to say for a Monster head coach. I, I don't know if he believes even. You know, so surely. But just just on that, yeah, Gav. Like I think if you're if you're looking at it logically and and like Munster should have had belief because the the game atonement was was pretty close. You know, they've had a couple of close games where the difference actually hasn't been as as vast as it actually was on on Saturday. So and also, I mean, Keith Earls had a phenomenal uh, Six Nations. Connor just came off a big game. Peter obviously been suspended, but should have been fresh. CJ and Ty Tyburn is up for player of the tournament. Um, you know, CJ had has had a good tournament. And now, and now we're all saying, oh, maybe it was too much emotionally for CJ. You know, we're finding reasons why they didn't perform rather than actually asking why why uh asking asking why they didn't. Or 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 look, sorry, it's they should be asking themselves, not us, not us asking them. But like that's the challenge, is that I think for Munster to beat Leinster in a in a semi-final, they need Connor Murray to have a worldly game. They need Damien Delande to to absolutely fucking take the game by the scruff of the neck. Like in 2009 when Rocky Elsom, you know, had an unbelievable game in that, in that semi-final. That's why you bring those players in because they are world-class, but also not just the players you bring in, the world-class players you have in your, that are homegrown, that are represent the, the province and the club, the Peter Mannies, the, the Keith Earls, um, you know, the Conor Murrays, they need to, they need to perform. And, and like you saw Sexton come off the bench and, you know, uh, he went flying into a uh, into a into a tackle. I think it was against Joey. You know, but that's your captain. That's your most probably precious player in terms of age. You know, a lot of miles on the clock, and yet he is desperate. To, he would have been fired up. He didn't play against Leinster start, um, but he comes on and he wants to just put his shoulder to the wheel. And that's at the moment. And this is what Leinster were always criticised never not having that we used to be the team who who um, you know was more important to play for Ireland than it was for Leinster and. Now it's it's obviously not you know they've got a really good balance between both but Munster I don't know I I, I can't I, it's, it's very harsh but um, I don't see that like desperation to change the uh, the status quo I, I I agree right and and that's kind of what I was trying to get at with say somebody like Coombs versus some of the guys that we've watched lose to Leinster or lose in European semi-finals over the last number of years that when we speak about the culture of a team and it can be a bit of a, a buzzword that maybe gets people's backs up at home but it, it does exist and that you mentioned earlier Bernard how Munster's big players like their frontline players don't seem to know how to raise their game for a game like this necessarily as individuals and that sort of translates then to a fairly you know I don't know fairly blunt collective performance like I wonder just over the, the course of time that they've been playing against Leinster and losing to them, has it actually damaged them to the point of, of it being irreparable, is what I mean? Well, I, okay, I think that's what Leinster will, will hope. That's So every time you beat a team, you hope you're psychologically scarring them, and that's going to make it easier in the future. And like obviously that's Leinster's um, mandate, that's what they want to do. Um, and if they have achieved that, it's you know credit to them because they've done it through hard work and through consistency. But 
Um, you know, it's the opposite is for the others. You know, like, you know, what are they going to do differently? And I, I, like, I think the reason the reason I hope I, I hope Munster would 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 be able to to perform and maybe win was because, you know, they've gone to Claremont this year and, and had a you know a, a massive win. They've had more time now with Graham Roundtree and and Stephen Larkham. So all the things that I excused them for last year, um, you know, had you know Carberry was back. There's there's lots of things falling into play, but yes. You know, they still didn't seem to be able to go and attack that game with a different mindset. Have a plan B. You know, get you know get physically dominant with Leinster. It was, it was like effectively it was the same type of of plan that they had before. And and like when Leinster win those high balls, you know, Munster actually were very weak on the high ball themselves. Um, and you know, so I don't know. It's just I think it's frustrating. But also like it's not just a coach. It's not just a game plan. Um. It's 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 the group. The group have a huge amount of 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 influence in in a in a knockout game, and um, the leadership group have have to have a huge influence. And um, yeah, I just look at it's 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 it wasn't good. Mm. It wasn't well, the, good. the group the group uh, to be the group obviously have a have a massive say in it, as you say, Birch. But if you look at that group, and even if you look at the leaders within that group, there might be. Um, there's a possibility that, say, for somebody like Peter Manning, who's the captain of that team, for somebody like CJ Stand or Murray and other more senior figures, they don't know how to beat Leinster in a meaningful game. They haven't done it. So after many, many years, it might be a case of, like, looking around at each other, kind of going, like, we hope we do it this weekend, but we actually don't know how to do it. There's no, there's nothing to suggest that we can yeah. do it because every time we try, we fail. So you kind of have to front up particularly for the younger guys in the squad and so on, but like that there might not be an actual conviction really is, is what I'm saying because they just haven't done it before. I think Larkin was basically alluding to that. And, and the reason he's come out and said everything is rosy is because I think he's very aware of that. And if he doubles down on what we're saying, then that just damages confidence even more ahead of another massive match this weekend that they've absolutely got to win at home. Um, and it's, I suppose, how do you how do you change that picture? You either change the players, which obviously isn't going to happen. Most of those guys are contracted through. You don't just get rid of a massive bulk of your team. That's not how it happens. But potentially there are little tweaks you can make in that personnel. And Gavin Coombs is obviously a, a unique enough example because he's so physically developed and can already excel in a game of that magnitude. There aren't a lot of guys like him, if we're being honest. But there are guys who have the potential to be like him. And that part of the picture does change things. I mean, any renewal of a team is often about the personnel coming through with a an edge about them, like Gavin Coombs, who goes and go, you know, I'm going to go and beat Leinster. I don't care about this history. Someone like Thomas O'Hearn, hopefully developing into the team and bringing that attitude as well. And that has to be part of it, absolutely, for Munster. But you've also got to work with the players who are there. And if that is, Gav, the, the, the psychological issue, then that's got to be worked on as well. They're working with... Peter Kruger, I think, a South African sports psychologist, has been with them for the last while. And you'd hope they've absolutely been addressing that and coming up with strategies to improve it along with Johan van Graan. Um, because I, I do agree with you. I think that is an issue. There's almost an expectance of losing, and that's not good enough. I agree with what you were saying as well a minute ago, Bernard, about the fact that when you go through a succession of head coaches, and this is a, a prevailing problem, that the players are, or a lot of those players, are the common denominator. But I'd, I'd, I would slightly separate this Van Graan era as well and particularly this season where if you looked at Munster's 23 at the weekend certainly 1 to 15 
I want to say four to fifteen because I think Leinster just have a better front row than Munsters, no matter uh, which way you uh, line them out. I would say like Munster individually, as individual players when they're at their best, we're kind of on a par with Leinster. A couple of mates of mine, like again Munster fans now, to be fair, so maybe rose tinted glasses or whatever, were like, I think Munster might have a better team than Leinster just this weekend, and and Leinster were resting a couple of players as well. But like, if you're not able to get the best out of those players, I. I I know that absolutely there's a part of it that's player responsibility in that they're not summoning the type of performance required on the day, but there obviously it is a coaching thing as well. Uh, even aside from game plans, there has to be surely a coaching input in bringing the best out of players. Isn't that actually the entire job of coaching? Yeah, no, it is. But I'm just saying, like, historically, this group haven't done anything different. You know, so if you put... Warren Gatlin in there, if you put Joe Schmidt in there, you know, are, unless the players actually change um, their their ability to play well for Munster. And look, at I, it sounds like these players have had a way better in careers than I had. So it's not the go with them. I think they're brilliant players. Just the problem has been, you know, they haven't been able to, to do it in the, in the red jersey at key times. That's 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 all. But as individuals and, and accolades, absolutely legends of the game. And, and, um, and I think probably if, if I was to, criticize Johan I think you know maybe he's too loyal to like form isn't really a guarantee form or being out of form isn't really a factor for selection it seems to be you know he goes for the tried and trusted in these games and I think he's maybe been a little bit cautious with some of those younger players and I would say I'd say you know you're gonna have to give them their their shot if they lose this weekend you know I would use the rainbow cup to to try and find you know, two or three, four players who can start next year. Um, and, you know, uh, I think I agree with you about front row. I think Leinster's front row, Leinster's backup front row are stronger than, than Munster's killer apart. Um, and I would say the business to sign Jason Jenkins doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I think if they're going to be allowed to bring in a non-Irish, they need a tight head um, or they need a hooker, uh, you know, a, a big physical hooker. Who can help help their set piece? Who can give them that ball carrier around the field? Um, so yeah, that little things like that are obviously you know we have to call them into into uh, question as well. I would say you know a reaction this weekend: beat to lose or look at what the squad is going to be looking like. What your starting team could look like if you're in a Rainbow Cup final in in twelve months time or fourteen months time, and be in a better position to 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 beat Leinster. So. You know, and the guys that jump to mind are the Hodnets, the the Caseys, the um, you know Thomas O'Hearns. You know, maybe a Knox. They're not going to be like bringing a foreign tight end now, so maybe a Knox or or Solano, uh, Solana and uh, Solanoa, and then hooker wise, you know, Kevin O'Byrne has been pretty good. Um, I don't know what they have in the academy. Have they got a big physical hooker like like Dan Sheen? Don't need to have. Um, but yeah, they, that'd be well. I, that, that that's how I would see it, and I think you get enough guys who who want to like who, you create a new identity. Like two or three players can change the whole dynamic of a team, and luckily these are going to be homegrown monster players. So hopefully they can create you know their own identity together and and you know change a team. Um, and and obviously then you know you'll have RG coming back. Um. And yeah, you've you've a chance. Like they have a good, they have talent. There's no well, doubt. That, that's kind of the point I was trying to make uh, when I say that there might be a bit of a distinction between his predecessors and Van Gran and his era, if you like, or particularly this season again, because he actually has a far better squad than Rob Penny had. 
you know like he, he has a better squad than Munster have had in the last 10 years some of the years in which Munster didn't win a trophy in the last decade they unquestionably weren't good enough to win a trophy you know they were actually quite weak compared to what they had been in the previous decade you can't say this about this Munster squad again just going through it individually it's a really good squad it, it, it's one of the top squads in Europe it's, def- it's a top two squad in the Pro 14 but the reality is even having brought in uh, two World Cup winners albeit one is sort of struck from your plans immediately with Damien Diolande starting in, in the centre against Leicester you're no better against them than you were last season you're no better than you were two years ago you actually are arguably worse that's where I kind of wonder uh, like I, that's where I would say that a coach shouldn't get a free pass if you know what I mean because a coach's job is to put that talent together amalgamate it make it into a, a better package than it was uh, and they're not I'll throw that to you Murray sorry I mean that's very fair it's, I, I wouldn't disagree with that I, I agree with you they've stated aims of winning trophies um, and beating Leinster obviously to win those trophies and they're, they're not doing that and you're you and Bernard have both mentioned how they've been given resource and again the RFU have given them leeway and they've got private backing to bring in two big players like that unlucky with Snyman but absolutely there's been lots of tools at Van Grand's disposal as well as this kind of new wave of talent which Munster have been waiting for really to, to come through their own pipeline players who have the caliber and potential to go on and play for Ireland so absolutely all the tools are there and and I think absolutely there's still even at this stage question marks about whether Van Grand can turn that into a, a trophy I mean they're a very good team Leinster obviously are a they're a unique example of a, a brilliant club side we, we should say that I don't I don't think there's many in I, I think they beat most national teams to be honest with you they're that good and Munster are, are a good team they're not a terrible team but that's the standard you're aspiring to so you've got to be held to that um, and absolutely the coaching ticket haven't done that and Larkham and Roundtree have had their time to settle in and the scrum obviously was a, a weak point last time the attack has shown signs of progress as in Clermont we saw a couple of nice strike plays um but that didn't deliver on the big occasion either. So there's absolute, absolutely justified scrutiny on them as coaches. I personally don't think there's going to be change there ahead of next season. Van Gran has another year in his contract. But if it doesn't improve or show signs of, of making that next step next season, well then I would imagine... We're, we're, we're talking about next season for the last few seasons. Like I think the reality is that it, it probably won't because what's the trend? Like Why, why will next season buck it? Uh, I don't see it. But... Uh, as you say, there are a lot of factors in play. And like for clarity, when I'm saying they're not better now than they were last season, they actually have been better all season. I just meant they weren't better when it actually mattered. Uh, they have a chance, obviously, to put that right a little bit this weekend. You'd wonder about suffering another defeat to Leinster in the circumstances and what that might do for confidence. Certainly nothing good. In the lead-up to a game against a Toulouse team, who... Um, I would say are inherently confident, even if they're not in, uh, even at moments when they're not in great form, they just have that ability to switch it on for the big occasion. Maybe kind of the antithesis of Monster in ways. Um, I wonder uh, how this game is going to go, and I wonder like, is is that defeat to Leinster Bernard an opportunity for Monster to kind of muster that sort of emotional performance to which you alluded earlier, where it has to be a backlash to something almost that brings the best out of them in that time-honoured Irish tradition yeah hopefully I think if there's not if there's not a backlash it'll be it'll be difficult um Toulouse, are, Toulouse have some injuries um at first they've got a boost Joe Takori's 
being cleared, having been cited from for an instant last weekend, so he's a boost. But uh, Reinhard Elstadt's not being able to to play um, because he was back in South Africa is a is a is a blow to Toulouse and a boost for Munster. He's he's their enforcer to break down. Um, and there's a couple of doubts around someone at Ramos and uh, Pete Aki. I think they've got a couple of backs, a good few backs actually carrying knocks. So they're not coming in, you know, in ideal shape. We're poor last weekend against Montpellier. Um, but having said that, you know, they have um, brilliant, brilliant players and, and a, a way of playing that's that's exciting. And we saw them in Ulster in Ravenhill. Um, you know, they can score beautiful tries from long distance. So, um, and that's the fear. And, and, you know, as I said, we spoke about Munster's defence maybe being... I think the problem for Munster is they're very narrow in defence because they've got so many jackal threats and, and don't seem to to readjust and get with. Um, and I, I could see, I could see um, Toulouse targeting that and you know getting getting rewards there. Murray Bernard touched upon it a minute ago the uh, the Jenkins signing and we'll get to that in a while. I haven't forgotten about it in case people are at home are kind of wondering where we're going to chat about it, but. Um, how do Monster actually beat Toulouse? Is it possible, do you think? Or is it? are we kind of reliant on almost memories of previous teams summoning these types of performances? Like, how did the two teams stack up against each other this weekend? It's an extremely difficult challenge because Toulouse, on top of the exciting attacking strengths they have, do have a, a good meaty pack as well. They have Julian Marchand and Cyril Boy to come back this weekend in the front row, probably alongside Famuina, who's obviously really experienced. And even if they are missing Elstad, there's a, a range of kind of really mobile, gritty, hard-nosed back five players there to to pick from. So th- they do have a tendency still to get loose. Like I watch them as much as I can in the top 14 and it's unbelievably exciting because they score those tries but also give up chances to the opposition. And they can put themselves in really difficult positions that a team like Munster will used to their absolute advantage with strong mole kicking back into the corner pin them pin them into their own half when they make mistakes with their handling or, or throw loose offload absolutely and and again let's like monster aren't a terrible team i'll just reiterate that it's going to be competitive again this weekend it generally has been competitive against leinster obviously it wasn't that way last weekend as to to as, as great a degree um so we can't just completely discount monster but i am a little bit worried because Toulouse have uh, such a variety of, of threats and the Thoman Park crowd factor is gone you know Toulouse have come over for a couple of quarterfinals in the past probably when they were going through their own rebuild um, and period of uncertainty and they were well beaten by Munster but obviously there was a, a raucous crowd there on both occasions so I would be a little bit worried for, for Munster to be honest this weekend Bert how do you see it going in the end? I have to tip Toulouse to be honest uh, um, I just think I think they're themselves racing Exeter and Leinster the top four in um in, in Europe and Munster for sure could win but um yeah I, I think Toulouse will have too much we'll chat obviously Leinster Toulon in a moment but just to touch back upon that Jenkins signing and chat about a couple of Munster departures while we're on the topic as well uh Murray what do you make of the Jenkins signing and I guess the messaging around it if that's not too political a phrase uh I guess just in terms of the reasons, well, the supposed reasons why they left two of their um, indigenous players, if you like, go uh, with JJ Hanran moving to Claremont and Darren Sweetenham off to La Rochelle uh, was kind of, I suppose it was made out to be for budgetary reasons and so on. And um, 
the arrival of a of a foreign player in those circumstances probably didn't please everybody despite the fact that obviously Jason Jenkins is a really really good player Springbok in 2018 and uh highly regarded in South Africa as well yeah I think purely on Jason Jenkins himself I think it's a good signing but I think it's the wrong signing in the wrong position and I actually just think it's wrong as well that he's coming in um so there's a I, I'm kind of gray on this I think he's going to add to their squad 100 this guy's a huge specimen six foot seven 125 kg he's springy in the line out he can carry close to the rock he'll take over some of standards dirty work in that regard and they absolutely had to replace that i think i can see it from their point of view they've had this shock of suddenly losing their kind of talismanic 50 test cap one time line possibly two time line this summer completely out of the blue really um, and they immediately went to to kind of resolve that so i do think he'll add to their squad i can see him to be honest I know they say they're going to play in blindside flanker. I can see him and Snyman starting in the second row with Ty Byrne at six, uh, Coombs at, at eight and Peter Romani at seven. And, and that's, to be honest, a, an extremely good back five-year scrum. But I agree with Birch. I thought a hooker should have been their priority. A really top-end hooker would add so much to that pack um, or, or tight heads, as he says. And then I just think it sends out the wrong message. I really do in terms of the young guys we've mentioned, in terms of, and this is purely optics, another South African player like so much of the reaction has like been based on that fact and i know that's kind of xenophobic maybe for some people and like why not a south african player but it just adds to the sense that johan van Graan is just turning to south africa every time he needs to to get a solution to to what's going on in munster um and that just disenfranchises disenfranchises some people 100 percent. i can get that munster has always prided itself on its really kind of community identity and I 100% understand some fans have have kind of turned off from it that way and they feel that they're they're losing that. I do think it'll cost the likes of Thomas Ahern and, and Finneen Witcherly game time. And I know Munster are probably saying here that they don't think those guys are ready to, to go and start Champions Cup games, which is really hard for those players, I, I can imagine. Um, and I know Thomas Ahern is learning all about being a professional. He, he's had to sit out loads of training sessions here and there as he gets to grips with that side of it. But I just think make that work he's your generational talent get him in there as soon as possible and, and make it work you know put some onus on yourselves to to get a guy of that of that potential um fast tracked um so yeah I'm, I'm a bit mixed on it i think it makes him a better squad better team but i think it's wrong yeah bernard the um i guess the feeling from munster is that and it's they're on the record as saying some of those younger guys will learn from jenkins they'll learn from jenkins and of course they will he's a fabulous player He's also 25. You know, like they won't learn. They won't learn anything from him. Yeah, that that's that, that yeah, that's they won't learn from. Him. Jason Jenkins is not going to teach Tom like he's three maybe three and a half years older than him. That uh, uh, there's so much dude. bullshit said in the media and that's part of it. The one thing that mattered that Stephen Larkham said was we want to win trophies. You guys understand that. People hold us to that standard and that's that's what this is about. The next year it makes them a better team. It's very short term. And that's an issue. Like, why could that money not be spent on a longer-term thing? Like, Munster fixing the Limerick club system. Like, there's so much talent there. There's so many good people working in those clubs. It needs to be joined up more. They can get, I think, really good players out of that far more often than is the case now. There's one Limerick guy in the in the academy, which is absolutely bonkers. And whatever, however many 100k they're paying Jason Jenkins, you can make a massive dent in, in sorting that out for years to come, not just next year. Um, so that's probably the frustration from from my point of view. Just just on this, um, I actually don't blame Johan really because when I was in Grenoble, 
I want to sign lots of players. I go to the president, they tell me no money. Like I have to go back down to my office and make another plan. Or in, in Dragons, you know, there was obviously financial limitations plus Welsh qualified was was the priority. So I I, I understand um what a coach would want to do. But I also think it's important someone above you says, look at this doesn't make sense for us, you know, and obviously there's an expectation to win trophies, but we will give you everything we can within certain criteria or restrictions to do that. And I think I think you know, I'm not sure whether it's the Munster CEO or whether it's, you know, Dave Nusifora, but I think this is one of the ones that they should have blocked. I don't I just don't I, I don't see obviously he's a good player and obviously yeah he potentially could play with RG in the second row, but it's all it's not you know, there's obviously um Sam Carter up in up in uh, Ulster. You've RG Snyman, um there's probably no yeah, there's two foreign second rows already in the country. Um not they can't play for Ireland. So uh I, I just think that Look at Munster and say, look at you know where do you need, to, where do you really need to, the, the where's the weakness? I think it's front row, um, and obviously you know where's your depth chart? Yeah, you have Fit Witcherly and you have Thomas Ahern, who we like a lot, have potential. Thomas Ahern could play for Ireland, you know, if, if he if he comes through the level we think he can, and this is going to block him. That's that's outrageous, you know. So it's just one of those things where we have this system that everything should be aligned and makes sense. And here's an example where it doesn't look like it makes sense um, from a player development point of view and blocking a young Munster player or a couple of young Munster players who have potential you know it's not as if there's no one in their academy who has that profile um, so I think it's it's very surely strange. they will learn from them I know you both absolutely slapped that down, but like... Uh, he, no, well, you're no chance. Absolutely no chance. Well, what do you mean? Nonsense. When you're working alongside somebody and they're good at what well, they're learn doing. How to hold your, well, learn how to hold his, um, his chopsticks because he's been in Japan. Like, you, this, you won't learn anything. Do not think... Honestly, <laughs> you won't learn anything from him. Via osmosis, like when you see somebody doing their job well, you don't pick up anything from that. To a degree, Gav, but like, that's not the reason. Yeah. Oh, no, I, 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 no, I don't I think agree. that's enough of a reason to... I suppose it's no. definitely not. It's definitely not the main reason they've signed yeah, him. It's yeah, a handy thing to say when they're announcing it. I mean, this has happened loads. The main reason you sign players is to make yourself better on the on the pitch. Someone like Albie Matches, someone like Albie Matcheson, I would say, yeah, there's there's, a, there's you know he's a, he's a very smart, very experienced kind of game manager. He could teach Craig Casey something, you know, a year ago, or whatever. But not not this signing. Peter Steph toy maybe might have uh, might have taught a few lessons. Yeah, well, could have he, been him. he would have, yeah. Um, so that was the, the that was the initial one they they had lined up, and interesting enough that that's the one the RFU weren't happy to to green light. Um, that certainly would have made them a better team, even if it was just for a year. But I suppose it makes it a little bit more confusing, even that that the Jenkins ones gets through. It's it's a more affordable signing, and I think the issue around um, Peter Steph was that it was just too much money at a time when everyone's getting like pay cuts, salary cuts in, in in Munster especially, it would have been really tough, I think, for the, the group there to take that. Uh, a guy coming in, even if it was with private investment on that kind of salary. Um, and I can understand that. I think that was a... I know it would have made Munster a much better team, but I think they already have their two spring box. That's enough. Um, but they've got another one in anyway, in the end. And yeah, it's a curious one. Curious indeed. What about the two lads heading off then? Just a word on them, Murray. It's a great opportunity, obviously, for JJ Hanner. And he... I would have imagined would have preferred to have stayed at Munster at least uh, back when contract negotiations were going on. Uh, he probably, I'm maybe making too many presumptions here, I would suggest that he would have felt let down that maybe they didn't meet um, 
not his demands, but maybe his suggestions contractually, his and his agents, because he's been absolutely pivotal to what they have done well over the last couple of years, particularly in domestic competition. Uh, nonetheless, he lands on his feet in a major way if they kind of felt they couldn't offer him more money and that there was an absolute bottleneck at 10, which there is with some of the talents coming through, with Carberry back fit, then this is a hell of a, a backup plan for JJ to go over there and play for a team that actually, the way they play, could really bring the best out of him. He's going to be in contention, really, with uh, Camille Lopez. And it, I do think stylistically, the way they play suit him as well, whereas actually... What we've seen of, of him at Munster over the last few years, I, I often feel as though he's a small bit inhibited in that he has to nearly bottle up his own instincts at times. So a chance at his prime, in his prime years, to flourish potentially over there. 100%. It's a great move. It's a fantastic club. I really like the city as well. It's going to be a really enjoyable experience for him. They're completely rugby mad and he'll he'll be embraced um, as long as he performs on the pitch they can take and turn if you don't but uh, I, I've no doubt that he will contribute um, and it would be, wouldn't be a surprise to see him playing against Munster at some stage in the future and, and doing well a great signing for Clermont as well to as you say compete with, with Camille Lopez and a guy who still probably has a bit more left to get out of his potential I think and he'll feel that way um, and it didn't always work out at Munster he had kind of ups and downs but a very kind of resilient guy who kept coming back for more, who kept putting himself in tough positions, even when it didn't always work out. Um, and I'm yeah, really pleased for him to get a move like that. The other one being Darren Sweetenham, I'm really excited to see what he can do with La Rochelle, with Ron O'Gara building his confidence back up. He's an un- unbelievably good athlete, really complete skill set, I think, when he's at his best. Um, and Joe Schmidt obviously liked what he saw. He was really unlucky with a couple of injuries. Van Grand just didn't seem to rate him for some reason whatever that was but he could really fly over there they're a really ambitious growing club play a lovely brand of rugby and he is still only 27 so there's absolutely buckets of ability left in him and and two really good moves they've gone to clubs who they'll probably sit there in a in a in a whatever a few months time and go i'm actually in a, in a pretty good position here i'm at a really good club that are on the rise so fair, fair play to both of them 100% the way Sweetenham plays ball he was definitely French in another life I think I think he'll take to everything over there fairly seamlessly looking forward to watching them both play in France let's look ahead to another French team's visit to Dublin then and Leinster Toulon we we're just looking at the Toulon team before we started recording Bernard and it's a <laughs> fairly fairly physical looking pack and you kind of are reminded of what they can bring to the table um how does it stack up, like uh, Leinster versus Toulon? It, it, it just, I guess, on paper, who's the better team here? Before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of it, uh, look at Leinster. Leinster are a far better team, but in fairness to Toulon, you know what they've created and what they've done in Europe, um, you know, historically is is massive. And, and in fairness, this team is still full of stars, but they're way off where they were with the likes of you know Wilkinson, uh, Gesso, uh, Backy's Bota, etc. It's it, they're very much in transition. Um, they were very poor last weekend against against Leon, uh, and you know Manonu got a red card. Um, there will be they're a very emotional team to be honest, and and probably mirror their their head coach um, Patrice Calazzo, who's unbelievably uh, he's the polar opposite of Leo Cullen. Um, like he's hot headed, uh, volatile, uh, and um, yeah, he he obviously was in La Rochelle before before Toulon, but. Uh, there may be a reaction, and they've picked an absolute monster pack. I mean, Estebet and Taufania to Nua in the in the second row, um, Tolafua at hooker, um, 
there was a rumor Becca Gigiashvili, the Georgian tighthead, uh, who I actually had in Grenoble, um, wasn't going to be allowed to play because of quarantine. He'd been back in Georgia, Georgia, um, but he's he's got cleared to play. So they look at they they have a massive massive pack. Um, you know they've got Saran at captain at nine is you know high tempo nine. Um, Villers, the the wingers is is, is like full of individuals, but Leinster's overall organization and and fitness levels and ability to to make few errors will will, will strangle them. I I feel. I can't wait for the scrum battle. I know you're going to be excited about this one, Birch. Um, obviously, as you say, a really powerful pack. And Leinster again last weekend showed the probably the improvements they've made there since the Saracens. Yeah, I suppose they were demolished that day, weren't they? Um, but this is going to be an interesting test. Tell us about Gigashvili. I know you you coached him a bit, didn't you? Yeah. So um, he he was in the Georgian Army till he was 21. Um, and never played rugby. Started to play a little bit of rugby socially. Um, there's a load of French agents who have contacts in in Georgia and are constantly looking for props um, to go into all levels. You know, we 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 see the ones in 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 pro in top fourteen, but you go down to federal three four. Um, there, there's Georgian players making a living, and and uh, our video analyst was also the team manager of of Chambry, which is about an hour from Grenoble. Some of some of the view, listeners might have flown in there for ski. Um, so he joined there and uh, just really hard working really strong loved the gym like doing two or three gyms they were they were part-time but he was doing two or three gym sessions a day um at times he he collapsed under the squat rack because he like just putting so much <laughs> weight on and uh but he didn't, know how to play rugby. he didn't know how to play rugby but in in federal one um you know a, a, a georgian tight head is 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 compulsory pretty much so he ticked that box and he learned the game so anyway um he was going to be a foreigner for us so we we started to track him a little bit, and uh, he looked like he got huge potential. Incredibly strong. He's like Andrew Porter, basically with tattoos, uh, with more tattoos, and um, he, he's just a squat uh, dynamic. So we signed him, but we we signed him for 2017, um, in 2015 because we felt he needed another year playing in Federal One to kind of learn the rest of the game, and the deal was that he would come every Tuesday to us and do live scrums with us to give us an extra scrummager but also for us to be able to keep a track on him and, and get an extra scrum session in a week and we agreed that with Shambri and we agreed unfortunately we agreed a contract where uh, we couldn't take him back at, uh, uh, um, on a on a weekly basis it was basically they they wanted him locked in for the whole year and that was it so uh, we didn't think he'd be ready but every Tuesday he'd come and absolutely mince all our props and we were getting pushed around the field and we are just going oh if only you could have him to try and buy him out of his deal but uh there was no way they'd give because they actually got promoted that year to uh out of federal one and um yeah and then obviously he came to grenoble in 2017 and had a stormer and yeah toulon i think bought him off grenoble so uh and then he's like he, man he managed to become the tight head starting tight head for georgia uh which is phenomenal you know that it's the it's the out half it's the johnny sexton of uh of, of georgia be the tight head he's got a uh, fan clubs and supermodels chasing after him so yeah it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see him play sign me up to the fan club oh I, i'm on board i'm on board uh niall has a question here actually about leinster and how they might go forward from last weekend so uh, he says uh it's been touched uh, touched on a few times recently that leinster have been dependent on attritional forward play to score tries accounting for center slash backline injuries uh, brackets enforced six two splits in certain match day squads close brackets 
Time with Ireland for Henshaw, Stash, Ringrose and double figure number of midfield combinations this season. Do Murray and Birch expect Leinster to look uh, Leinster to more likely utilise and execute in the back line in Europe and the Rainbow Cup? I'll throw that one to yourself, Murray. Yeah, I actually think they're going to I think that we'll see a bit of a flip from what we saw last weekend and, and they'll start with that more squeezing um attritional I suppose is the word that was used there approach and then we'll see them open up a little bit towards the the final quarter of the game um, I think they'll be keen to kind of sap the life out of Toulon as much as they can and not give them any sniff at all uh, particularly away from home I know that's a bit of a cliche but it is because it's it's very true and, and we've seen that with Toulon this season and um, so I think yeah I think we'll see them open up in in this in the second half of it and even though they didn't finish those chances last weekend there is a kind of bouncing energy you get from opening up a team like they did to Munster like what a thrill it is for Keenan to get an offload from van der Fleer and and soar through and find Robbie Henshaw in behind they absolutely should have scored that time uh, we saw Keller breaking off Andrew Porter's little tip pass as well that's really lovely stuff in just in phase play as well as the the set piece stuff we mentioned earlier on so they'll have a bounce in in their step in that regard and it'll absolutely be part of the plan certainly from set piece and um, but I, I think yeah we'll see a bit of a, a turning on its head of, of how they actually play this weekend Leinster for you Murray yeah, Leinster by 10 to 15, maybe. Do you think they'll have that margin of comfort as well, Birch? Maybe more. I think they could open up on, on them. Um, yeah, like I, I, I think Toulon are still a team of individuals and I don't think there's any team who have the cohesion Leinster have. I'm not saying that Leinster are guaranteed to win the ch- competition, but in terms of cohesion, um, I think they are very much on the same page and I think they'll pull away. Yeah, I think it could be one-sided. Connacht in Welford Road to face Leicester, traditionally struggle in England. Sean Farrell had a great 42 read on the side about that very matter last night, I think, Wednesday night, if people want to check that out. Um, Murray, I guess the, the, the reality is that this game, or the lead-up to it, has been dominated by a couple of high-profile departures from Connacht in the coaching setup of Jimmy Duffy, most recently the forwards coach, um, but also Nigel Carroll, uh, whose work kind of needs no introduction or fleshing out for listeners of this podcast or even kind of more casual rugby fans as well he's been uh, really influential in irish rugby at at a number of levels so uh, they're blows aren't they it feels i guess when you lose one you lose carolyn he's, he's almost a marquee name in connacht the way he uh, the way he goes about his job that's a blow but then it's it's compounded really by losing duffy another integral part of andy friend's setup absolutely guys who've been really part of the furniture for a long time and have put in a massive long shift of hard work and emotional investment into the province and and delivered really good results absolutely in terms of some of the stuff Duffy's done with the pack and at the breakdown Carolyn's attack obviously and and both of their work behind the scenes in developing players has been absolutely integral they're both ambitious guys though and I, I would imagine that they're both keen to be head coaches there obviously was strong rumors at one stage that Andy Friend was going to be departing at the end of the season he obviously signed on in the end but I wouldn't be surprised if both those guys had had their eye on a potential promotion um, and now are maybe going to try and move up the ladder somewhere else. I'll be fascinated to see where they end up because they're both very talented Irish coaches and you'd love to see them get their hands on a project and and really drive it on. So wait to see where where they go. Um, And it is a a pity that it's supposed to be dominating the week because it's some big game for the province. As Bernard mentioned, they've had silverware in the last decade, whereas Munster haven't, but... The Challenge Cup was always going to be a chance to, to do that. It's a tough challenge away from home given they're missing Bondiaki and Jared Butler to their suspension. So 
it might just be a, a little step too far without some key guys like that yeah what do you reckon Bernard can they kind of get over that hump in England this time around or will Leicester be that little step too far this time yeah I think I've been impressed by Leicester um, they've seemed to have adapted to the Steve Bortwick um, kind of regime uh, they brought in some good South Africans actually ironically uh, and more to come um, they've tapped into that market uh, very good pack come back to the old school kind of Leicester way so probably the the kryptonite for Connacht the way Leicester play I think uh, Connacht can open teams up but uh, I like the way Leicester are developing and um, yeah I, I probably think it's probably they, yeah I fancy them to win it so Leinster will be the last Irish province standing after this weekend of European competition say the two boys grim enough apart from for Leinster please for them Ulster Ulster will win Ulster will win away to Harlequins I think oh sorry pardon me yeah 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 yeah. Ulster will be a really interesting game as well um, Harlequins have had a bit of a uh, renewal I suppose since Paul Gustard left um, a few months ago they've been on a, a bit of a kind of winning run or successful run and Jerry Flannery actually has taken on a lot more responsibility now he's running the defensive side of the game as well and they'll have a, a confidence with, with Ulster coming and Danny Kerr's in form Mike Brown's playing some good rugby obviously Dom Brandt has been consistently good and, and Marcus Smith is knocking on the door for England as well so they've got lots of individuals in form but Having said about Connacht trying to win a trophy, I think Ulster just cannot miss this chance. I know it's only the Challenge Cup. It's not a, a top-tier frontline competition, but you can get so much out of getting silver or getting a medal. Um, and Ulster should have the strengths to go over and um, limit what, what Harlequins, Harlequins can do with their, their kind of attractive attacking rugby. So I think it's a, a really good chance for Ulster. It's true enough, Bernard, isn't it? As much as it might not be the be-all and end-all for clubs or even players or coaches just to get um that notch on the belt of a trophy it prevents a conversation a couple of years down the line like we're having a bit monster now where they haven't won in 10 years like because if Ulster were to win a, a challenge cup you at least have that to point to it's something from which you can build yeah thanks to worry for that i'm gonna throw my challenge cup medal in the bin now it's worth you know what i meant you know what i meant <laughs> no absolutely look at it. it's, it's 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 huge um and it can just galvanize a team get them um that one win and, and that uh that can build confidence so yeah no, i think it's, it's it's definitely a valuable competition um and it's definitely can be a stepping stone to obviously winning your domestic competition or or a champions cup so uh no, i think it's important um and obviously connor will be chasing that and connor connor have the ability to beat leicester i just said i think leicester their pack are very well organised at the moment and, and probably a little bit more power. And likewise, Ulster should be one of the favourites for that and should should really see that as uh, as their great holy grail, you know, for this season. Can I just apologise to all Challenge Cup winners, actually? The best medal I have is East Munster <laughs> Development B League, I think, to be honest. I think we, we beat Flamel that day, but that's my highest glory. So, yeah, who am I to say? I was on the bench for a Bone Shield final in 2009, <laughs> so it's a about on par. I can, I'd like to apologise for Ulster for completely, completely forgetting their game. It just slipped my mind because I had the other three <laughs> provinces written on the running order when we were chatting about the two Connacht coaches. Let's chat uh, Women's Six Nations before we wrap, Murray. And 
it's back this weekend first and foremost Ireland uh, will be uh, waiting another week before they line out themselves but I guess because there was so little information and so little clarity in advance of this tournament it feels like it's it's come out of nowhere in a way I'd imagine uh, massively exciting for the players but I think you were on a, a press call as well earlier um, like was it a launch or something along those lines so give us a lowdown what are you expecting from it yeah there was a launch earlier this weekend so for the first time it's obviously a standalone competition and a standalone launch on its own I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how the interest levels and media attention are given that it's not I suppose in the shadow of the men's competition because that's such a dominant part of the of the calendar uh, t- tournament organisers are certainly hoping that this can be a kind of regular occurrence now have its own window and they do want to go back to the regular kind of Six Nations. This is a condensed format, as as you mentioned. It's a little bit different, but at least we're getting a competition away away this year. Um, and it's a massive few years ahead now. It's been really, obviously, there just hasn't been international women's rugby with the pandemic, but it's starting back here. We're going to have the World Cup postponed until next year. There's a new WXV competition to come in 2023. There's talk of a Lions Tour even in women's rugby, although that's very early stages, a kind of feasibility study. Um, so there's loads going on it's it's a really exciting time and it's just brilliant to see it back on the pitch for for Ireland as you say in the second round away to Wales a tough enough opening assignment before they play France at home but I'm intrigued to see with kind of 20 plus camps behind them all training ground obviously you know matches very different but how they've pushed on from from where they left off because last year before the pandemic hit there were promising signs of players really kind of grasping the ambitious approach, making better decisions in attack. They've worked extremely hard on the defensive side of their game and, and absolutely had to, but there was massive intent around the the breakdown last year. Um, they were really ferocious around that area, as well as making some really good reads on, on the wing. There's some exciting players, like obviously Baven Parsons has been a, a superstar breakout. They have Amy Lee Murphy-Crow now coming in from the sevens, and I would love to see what she could do in a 15s pitch. She's been a sensational try scorer on the series in sevens. Um, so the the big question is right nailing down that 10 shirt and exactly who they move forward there. It's been kind of disjointed and, and changing selections there um, ever since Adam Griggs has come in. But there's loads of reasons for, for excitement there, not only for Ireland, but for the, the game as a, as a whole. And yeah, let's see how it pans out over the next few weeks because um, it could be a really kind of, defining and a new era really for for the women's game certainly we'll get into it in a bit more detail when ireland are preparing for that game so this time next thursday we'll chat about that in in uh, in more depth uh, but for now let's wrap it's an hour and a quarter gone bernard thanks a million as always pleasure thank you and murray thank you as well you'll be back on tuesday with owen tool and looking back on the champions cup action yeah cheers gav hope you feel better after that i do not Thank you. Thank you to all of the 42 members as well. Members.the42.ie if you want to support our independent sports journalism, first and foremost. But also you get so many extra podcasts, insiders, newsletters, uh, all sorts of good stuff. Tune into the football family, which came out earlier this week. Gav Cooney, Paul Dollery and David Sneed picking the bones from uh, the Republic of Ireland soccer team's troublesome international window. And as a fan of both sports, I have to say I've had a truly dreadful week. But uh, brightness, brighter days are on the horizon beginning this weekend, let's hope. Uh, Mind yourselves until Tuesday for the 42 members and until next Thursday for non-members. Till then, rather, go easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. (laughs) (laughs) It is Tommy Moe! Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass. Magic!